All right, so we are um, in Philippians chapter 4, continuing with the sermon series, Even Sinners Such As I. And we're looking at how um, God meets us in our most broken moments in life, our most embarrassing moments in life, our most shameful moments in life, and how the gospel meets us there and not only brings forgiveness, but sets us free from shame and guilt in a way that we can walk in genuine transparency with God and with his people. And so this week we're going to be looking at how the gospel of peace meets us in the midst of anxiety and fear. Now, as soon as I say that, the vast majority of us will begin to dismiss this as a message for that person that you know, right? More than likely, there's somebody in your life who you know. If it's not you, you know somebody who is struggling with uncontrollable anxiety and fear, a coworker, a family member, one of your kiddos, maybe a friend. And so, yes, we, we're talking about those folks, but there are others of us in the room who hear, need to hear this message as well. There are those of us who struggle more with circumstantial fear or anxiety. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, but when things get stressful enough, when things get hard enough, we'll begin to feel that overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety. I've, I've had one panic attack that I'm aware of in my life, and it happened in the midst of a really significant season of stress, just high levels of stress, and then seemingly out of nowhere, I was hit with a panic attack. Now, I'd also like to mention, though, the vast majority of the folks here today struggle with a much more subtle version of anxiety and fear. And so yours is also circumstantial, but you've learned the circumstances and which circumstances to avoid so that you don't encounter anxiety and fear. Right? And, and here's the problem with that. If we're not careful, avoiding those circumstances might also mean avoiding the thing that God has called you to do. Like share your faith with a coworker. If, if you ever allowed fear to cause you to shrink back, that's fear and anxiety. Ministering to somebody, reaching out to somebody, setting up a lunch. There are people who are in our church who have a fear or an anxiety of, of crowds. And so being here on Sundays is like really, really hard for these people. And if they, if they aren't careful, just avoiding what makes them nervous or anxious will cause them to miss out on just Sunday morning services. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 9 together. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Paul begins with these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think of these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now let's talk for a minute 
about anxiety and stress and where it comes from, but even before we do that, what encourages me here today is that the the modern-day struggle with anxiety and stress is actually not a modern-day problem. The first-century church obviously struggled with anxiety. I mean, even within the teachings of Jesus, he deals with anxiety and fear and calls his followers not to be overcome and, and debilitated and paralyzed by fear and anxiousness, but instead to trust. And here Paul has embedded this call to Christians to not be anxious, but it's not this singular phrase, it's not just an arbitrary command from God where he says to us, quit being anxious, he embeds this phrase within counsel, within a call to us as Christians to know how to combat anxiety and fear on whatever level you're struggling with it, whether it's chronic illogical anxiety and panic attacks that that debilitate you and paralyze you, or it's the more subtle version. You just find yourself just subtly avoiding the things that make you anxious and therefore not fulfilling all that God has called you to do, whichever the case. Your counsel is embedded in this passage. So we think about the causes of anxiety, and here's the reality. It's a, it's a lot like depression. There's, there's rarely, if ever, a singular cause or a singular thing going on, okay? There can be a biological component to anxiety, the endocrine system, the, the hormones that are released within your body. Too much adrenaline at the wrong time can cause your heart rate to elevate and become short of breath, and before you know it, full-on panic attack. So we know there can be a biological component uh, we know there can be a circumstantial component, high levels of stress or deep seasons of grief. Poor health, unhealthy lifestyle can contribute to anxiety and fear. Unhealthy thought patterns, fixating on things that are outside of your control can create anxiety. And we know there's a spiritual component. We look at the, 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 the way that we treat anxiety, and of course, there's the medication option, there's the healthy lifestyle option, there are spiritual components to this. I want to talk through a few of those. Some will try to combat anxiety and fear simply through pragmatism, like being logical. Like, I know it's not logical. Now, if you've ever really struggled with uncontrollable fear, you know that logic alone doesn't fix it, right? It can be helpful. We need that spouse or that friend to like calm us down and call us back from the edge and say, listen, it's not true. What you're worried about isn't happening and, or what you're worried about isn't gonna happen. And, right? But that alone doesn't cure anxiety. So we need a little pragmatism. Medication alone does not cure anxiety. This is, I'm gonna read a quote from WebMD. This is from the medical world uh, when it comes to applying medication to anxiety. Medication is useful for alleviating the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. While drugs don't cure anxiety, they can help you manage your symptoms so you can function well and feel better in your day-to-day life. That's WebMD. Now, that's the medical world saying we know that even medication can't cure anxiety or uncontrollable fear. It can only address the symptoms. Matter of fact, if, if you look into... Uh, the medications being used to combat anxiety, there are the, this, this family of drugs called the benzodiazepines or the benzos. Maybe you're familiar with these medications, and I'm going to just offer up caution here. The, the benzos were only meant, created and meant to be a temporary relief to anxiety, not to cure anything. And what they discovered are two things about the benzos. They're highly addictive, 
And number two, they can be extremely lethal if you try to come off of them on your own. So if, if that's you and you're on that medication, don't walk out of here today going, that's fine, I'm going to throw my medication away, just me and God and the Bible, we're going to do this, because you might find yourself in a critical medical situation. Now, we're not here to make medical diagnosis this morning, right? And even if we could, from the medical world, we couldn't actually cure the problem. We would simply just be treating the symptoms. What we're after today is the root of the problem. Where does this anxiety well up from? Where does this uncontrollable, illogical fear come from? And so Paul addresses this with the early church. Now what I want to do is we're going to stop for a moment. Throughout this sermon series, at the end of the sermon, we've had the opportunity to hear from a staff member or an elder who has shared about how the gospel has met them in a dark and difficult moment. Today was going to be the same. But rather than waiting to the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you a chance to hear from one of our staff members who is facing this very battle himself. Before I do that, let's do some research that I found. The medical world says that 18.1% of all American adults have been diagnosed with anxiety disorder. I'm not debating whether that's true or not. I'm just saying that's what the medical world would say. 18, so that's almost one in every five adults has an anxiety disorder of some sort, right? And, and here's, here's some data. The medical world will say that more women suffer from anxiety than men. Can I just share with you, I don't believe that data. What I think is happening is this. I think ladies are more apt to be honest about weakness and to share when they're struggling with fear and anxiety. Now, I know that women can struggle with pride too, but come on, man, let's be honest. We carry a big bat of pride around with us. And one of the last things we want to admit in the idea of being weak is that we're somehow uncontrollably fearful or anxious. Listen, I've discovered over the last four or five years working with men who've finally mustered up the courage to come talk with me that this is a problem for men as well. I'll give you two examples. I had one gentleman come to me in his lower 30s. His first panic attack hit him when he was sitting at a red light waiting on traffic, and it hit him so hard, it's the first time he'd experienced this, that it completely paralyzed him, and he could not take his foot off the brake and drive when the light turned green. He had to pick up his phone and call his wife to come from their house, park her car, get in his car, drive it into a parking lot, park it, and take him to the hospital. Out of nowhere, a 32-year-old healthy male. Another gentleman I met with that I've known for over 20 years, Knew this cat in high school. One of the most outgoing, confident guys you could ever be around. Got, it got so bad that he called me and said, I want to meet with you. And I said, perfect, where do you want to meet? Starbucks? He said, no, you're going to have to come to my house. I can't leave my apartment. I can't tell you how many times he's promised to come to church here on a Friday. Didn't show up. I will call and just check in on him. Hey, man, missed you. And he'll say, listen, I just couldn't do it because he has this fear of people in crowds. And so, men, this is a real problem for us as well. Now, I want to give you a chance to hear from, again, one of our staff members, one of our pastors, Darren Shaddix, as he talks a little bit about his struggle with anxiety. Hi, my name is Darren Shaddix. I'm the kids pastor here at Solid Rock, and I've been at Solid Rock for two years. I was raised in church. Our family went to church every Sunday. I accepted Christ when I was about eight years old. Uh, we were in church on Sunday morning. Uh, felt God pushing me toward that. Uh, 
At age 15, I accepted the call to ministry. Uh, God was really pressing that on my heart. And uh, my parents are very supportive in that. And I was blessed to be part of a church family that's very supportive in that as well. Uh, at age 20, uh, got married and started pastoring my first church soon after that. And then pastored three churches uh, over the span of from 2000 to 2010. In 2010, uh, we moved to Fort Worth. I felt like God was calling us to seminary, and I started attending Southwestern Seminary in 2010. Um, we were in Fort Worth a couple years, and then we felt God was calling us to do foster to adoption ministry. We felt like God was telling us that was the way that we were going to grow and finish our family. So we have two biological children, uh, Kaylee and Ethan, and then we have three adopted children, Levi, Avalyn, and Renna. Uh, it was the midst, in the midst of that foster to adoption ministry that uh, I started really struggling with anxiety. Uh, we had a, a series of pretty traumatic events go on in our family. Uh, just seemed like it was one after the other. Uh, just one of those would have put a strain on a marriage, put a strain on a family, and it, it just seemed like it was piling on more and more and more. And uh, it, it just really attacked my confidence. Uh, confidence is something I, I never really struggled with in the past, uh, but then this anxiety just kept growing. Uh, the thing that was so frustrating about it is in, in my faith, I knew, you know, God has this, uh, but it just, it just seemed like the anxiety, uh, the panic attacks just increased more and more and more. Um, we were incredibly, incredibly busy. Uh, we had some safety issues in our home. Uh, someone had poisoned our dog and someone had uh, put bleach in my wife's gas tank and totaled our brand new car. And because of everything that was going on, we had no idea who was doing this to us and why it was happening. Uh, so there was, there was just a lot of uh, felt safety and a lot of struggle. Uh, in my heart, I, I, I struggled with rage a lot because um, I was upset that someone else's sin was splashing onto us and affecting us. And it wasn't until later that I realized that no matter who it is, even me, my sin splashes onto and affects other people. Uh, I think it really came to a head when I kept having to go to the garage and tell my wife I'm going to go clean up, pick up, clean out the car, do this or that. And I'm in there just struggling to breathe, struggling to take my next breath. It just felt like a grown man was sitting on my chest and I just, I just couldn't collect myself. Uh, there were even times when I would just wake up in those panic attacks and not even know why. It wasn't that there was a, a terrible circumstance or even a simple circumstance that I shouldn't be worried about, but I was. It was just, it was just hitting me and I would have no idea why or how long it would last. And that was when I, I had to admit to myself, I can't, I can't try to handle this by myself anymore. I've got to get help. It, it really affected how I interacted with other people. Uh, at work, I started to withdraw more and more. I wasn't outgoing. I wasn't very friendly. I just kind of didn't trust people and didn't want to put myself in a scenario where I could get hurt again by putting myself out there, uh, allowing people to uh, hurt or betray me. Uh, when I would go home, I would, I would need it quiet. I would need it uh, to be peaceful and uh, 
large family in a small house, that's really hard to do. So then I would act out of frustration. I would, I would get too loud. I'd, I would parent out of frustration. I'd parent out of, out of desperation, really, of just wanting things to be different and trying to make them different. And it was, it was impossible to do. Probably the thing that was that was a big a big struggle with this was logic versus feelings. Like I would I would know with my faith and even know with just you know just logic that it wasn't something I should be worried about or that God had this or that it was okay um, that I shouldn't feel this way. But there was this disconnect between what you knew and what you felt, and it was something that you couldn't just snap your body out of. You couldn't make it go away, you couldn't just turn it off. It was, it was the frustration of knowing that you weren't in control of how you felt, and you really felt like a prison in your own emotions. In the midst of all this, I really saw how God was, was working in my life, that uh, the weaker I was, the more He was showing how strong He was. Uh, here I am, I feel like I'm falling apart on the inside, and people are making comments on just how cool and calm I am and, and, and making decisions that seem pretty hectic and stressful and it just went beyond me. Uh, at the time I was interim pastor of a church that was uh, slowly dying and declining and uh, we saw God turn things around for that church and bring it up to a church that's alive and thriving today. And in, in the midst of that, I just felt like I was in the, in the biggest emotional mess of my life. Uh, but again, in my weakness, God was just pre proving just how strong He was. Uh, we were part of a very supportive church family that was that was there for us, and uh, key leaders knew what was going on, and and it was really a testimony to them of just how I was struggling with all of this and, and dealing with all these traumatic events that happened in our house and, and to our home. Um, how God just used that to prove that in our weakness, He's made strong. Uh, with me, it's it's a day-to-day -day process. Uh, it wasn't something that just God miraculously took away. I still have those moments where uh, I wake up in a panic. Uh, there are still circumstances, even tiny circumstances, that uh, anxiety starts to come in. Uh, but God's been gracious in making it something that's manageable. Uh, he's given me tools to, to help with that, uh, with my walk and my faith and doing some, some physical activities that just help bring it down. Uh, I've been able to receive some counseling that's helped me. Uh, been very, very beneficial. Uh, so now it's seen, seen as something that uh, I can live with and, and be content with, knowing that in the midst of that weakness, uh, God can be glorified in it and proving that it's definitely not up to us. It's, it's up to God working in our life. Um, just looking back at that track record and looking back at that timeline, uh, it was just evident that um, no matter what I was going through, God was just displaying His greatness and His grace. Uh, and I think it could be a good testimony to anyone that whenever you're going through hard times, you don't, you don't quit serving God. You don't, you don't quit following Him and walking in Him, but instead you just pull into Him that much more and rely on His grace. Amen. Amen. Very, very thankful for Darren's courage to share that with us. Um, and... Uh, and you know, when we think about having weakness in our lives and we think about God's role in that weakness, I know most of us, if not all of us, what we desire is for God to take it away, right? So we ask for God, pray, take this away. Now, sometimes God can do that. We believe in a God who is more than capable of doing that. But more often than not, God doesn't take it away, does he? 
right? He allows that weakness to stay in our life. Think of it this way. If God removes weakness from us, we don't become stronger. He just removes the weakness. But for most of us, in most weaknesses and situations, rather than taking away, God works through the weakness to do what in our lives? Make us stronger. It's that thorn in the flesh that Paul prayed God would remove and God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. Through your weakness, I will make you strong. And so what do you do if you're struggling with fear and anxiety and you've prayed for God to take it away and yet it's still there? How do you walk in the day-to-day life that God has called you to without being debilitated and paralyzed by your fear in such a way that you're able to walk in obedience to Christ? Well, embedded in Philippians 4 is this amazing counsel for us. And he begins with worship. You remember what Paul said? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. So he begins with a call to worship. Now, I really appreciate this word rejoice because it means to be glad. It's not a call to do something. It's a call to be something. See the difference? He's not giving us a list of to-dos. He's describing who we need to be. We need to be glad. Be glad in the Lord. Now that word, that phrase, in the Lord, is helpful, right? Because I may not have a whole lot going on in my life to be glad about in any given season, right? Things may actually be seemingly falling apart like Darren was describing, yet I'm not called to be glad in my circumstances. I'm called to be glad in the Lord. And here's what Paul's reminding us of. At any given moment in my life, because he uses the word always here, be glad in the Lord always. So that means any moment in my life, I have more than enough at that moment in Christ to be glad about. We just read a whole list of them in Ephesians 1. I've been chosen before the foundations of the world. I've been adopted. In love, I've been predestined. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed, I've been sealed, I've been guaranteed this inheritance in Christ. And at any moment of my life, those things are true regardless of my circumstances, right? Regardless of how I feel in my gut. What Paul is calling us is to remember that, Christian, and he's calling us to be glad, and he's calling us to worship. Now, the second thing he mentions here is prayer. So just because God doesn't miraculously remove your weakness after one prayer, we're not called to quit praying. Because see, the essence of prayer is actually worship. I don't know if you know that or not. When you pray, you're making a theological proclamation. First of all, you're saying, I believe God is real, right? I believe in God, and I believe he's capable I'm bringing him something that I believe he's big enough to handle, and I'm even going out on a limb and believing that he might be willing. You're making a theological statement, and Paul says that when we pray, when we ask for supplication with thanksgiving, what does that mean? It means that, God, even if you don't do what I ask you to do, I'm already thankful. Why? Because I'm being glad. I'm already thankful for what I have in Christ. Now, here is my struggle. Here is my weakness, God. And in thankfulness, we ask God to take it away. And so first and foremost, this is a matter of worship. Now, the big misunderstanding about worship is that if my worship isn't big enough, then I need 
a bigger band or a bigger church or a bigger pastor. I need those things around me here on earth to get bigger so my worship can be bigger. Can I tell you what the actual issue is? If your worship is too small, it's actually rooted in your view of who God is. Your God is too small. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I come into this room and I'm feeling it. I cannot wait to sing with the saints. There are other times I walk in on Sunday morning and I'm not feeling it in my gut. My heart's not just zealous to worship. In that moment, you know what the problem is? The problem is my view of God is too small because I guarantee you if I can see God for who he is and in all of his grandeur, all of his majesty, all of his bigness, I can't help but worship. You follow me? And so if I'm having trouble being glad, what I don't need is a bigger band. I love that once a month we strip down the stage like we talked about earlier and, and primarily we just want to hear the saints sing. You know, in the Old Testament, um, they would blow a horn to initiate worship and to call the people of God into worship. You know that's what these microphones are really for? They're just to call us into worship. Once we start singing, guess what they get to do? They just get to back away and just sing. And so the problem isn't that we need better music, more exciting environment. What we need is a bigger view of God. Listen to this. We have to understand that our view of God greatly impacts our view of the world. The smaller your view of God, the larger the world and your struggles will seem to you. Think about that. The smaller your God, the bigger your struggles are going to seem to you. When we make God in our image, rather than seeing ourselves made in his image, we end up with a safe, manageable God, listen to me, that's easy to believe in, but hard to take refuge in. Think about that. It's easy to believe in a God who's just a little bit smarter than me, a little bit more powerful than me, just a little bit bigger than me. But I don't want to take refuge in that God, do you? And so we find ourselves in the midst of of a struggle, and and there's this hesitation to take refuge in God. What more than likely the issue is, is our view of God isn't big enough. This manageable, made-up God, he's small and easy to believe in, but he's difficult to take refuge in. When fear and anxieties begin to grow, What Paul is saying is here, we've got to allow Jesus to recalibrate our hearts through his word to see him for who he is. We have began to lose sight of the majesty of God. So he calls us to worship. He calls us to be glad. He calls us to pray with thanksgiving. And then at the end, did you see what he said in verse 8? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind on these things. Who is he talking about? God. If you see God as anything less than true, honorable, pure, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, or worthy of praise, you've got too small of a God, and you need a bigger God. And the way that Jesus recalibrates our view of God is through his word. And Paul is calling the church, Christians, listen, in the midst of your anxiety and your struggle with fear, I'm calling you to worship, to see God for who he is, meditate on his greatness, 
Here's what's going to happen. Is that going to guarantee your struggle with anxiety goes away? No. But the bigger your God becomes, the smaller your weakness and struggles become. And now I'm no longer trying to manage God. Now I'm learning through Christ in me to manage my weakness, to work through my weakness, to obey God when he calls me to get involved in a community group or to go serve in some missional capacity or together with the saints on Sunday. Instead of allowing fear and anxiety to paralyze me and cause me to avoid these things, what am I able to do? I'm able to step forward in faith, even with my weakness. Matter of fact, in the midst of my weakness, he is making me strong. There's a quote from Evelyn Underhill. She's a... um, a 20th century Anglo-Catholic writer, published a lot of things. This is what she says about God in worship. She says, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshiped. If the God in your mind is small enough for you to comprehend him and to understand him, he's far too small for you to worship. You see, we don't, We don't need a to-do list. What we need is our hearts to be recalibrated, to see God in his greatness for who he is. Now, the second thing that Paul mentions shows up in one verse, in verse 5. It's the word reasonableness. Did you catch that? We were reading it. For let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's kind of a strange word. I had to look it up. I I have no idea what you mean by that word, reasonableness. Now, here's what it means. It's a Greek word, and and it means... It's it's a disposition of the heart that seeks what is best for everyone, not just oneself. That's what that word means. It's an others-centered focus, reasonableness. Well, why didn't Paul explain more? Well, if you back up to chapter 2, he already gave us a picture of reasonableness. Listen to what he said in Philippians 2, first five verses. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being. Not doing, by what? Being. Once again, this is being. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. He's calling the church to unity. That's part of reasonableness. When I'm not just so interested in my agenda or my perspective or my opinions or even my personal convictions that I'm able to see you and see where you're at and see your struggles and your strengths and your weaknesses, your ambitions, your interests. Look at what he says next, verse 10, excuse me, verse 3, Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is, again, what reasonableness looks like. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours where? In Christ Jesus, through the gospel. Now, two things I want to extract from what we're reading here. This is a call not only to worship God, but it's a call to dwell in biblical community. So what component does biblical community play in my struggle with fear and anxiety? couple of things I want you to think about. First of all, this whole sermon series, we've talked about the call to walk in transparency. To boast in weakness, not hide it. To own weakness, right, and let God meet us there. So first and foremost, if I'm going to walk in biblical community, I've got to walk in transparency with you. I've got to do what Darren just did. As uncomfortable as it is, I've got to say, this is me, this is what I'm struggling with. 
Listen to this. Here's the the crazy cycle and paradox. One of the greatest barriers to overcoming fear and anxiety is the fear and anxiety of being exposed and fully known. Here's what happens. We hide our struggle with anxiety out of anxiety of what people will think of us if they knew we were struggling with anxiety. You see that trap that we set for ourselves? I'm so scared that if I let you know that I'm scared, right? I'm afraid of what you'll think about me and the fact that I'm scared, right? Because I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to have faith. I'm supposed to be courageous, and I don't want you looking down on me, so I'm going to hide my fear from you, and then I get stuck in this trap and this vicious cycle. When we walk in true transparency with one another, it doesn't cure anxiety, but it's a step into the process of overcoming it. Process, journey, sanctification takes a long time. Some are able to see that victory happen completely in this life, but even if it doesn't, we are guaranteed an inheritance where there'll be no anxiety. And so when I choose to be transparent with you, I'm taking a step of faith across a barrier and saying, this is me, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm stepping into the process of being made like Christ and overcoming fear and anxiety. The fear of being known tells us, if they really know my weaknesses, they won't love me, they won't accept me, and they certainly won't respect me. But when we walk in transparency with biblical community, we break through that barrier of being known, we expose our weakness, and we dispel the lie. Wait a second. I just told you who I am, and you didn't go anywhere. So what was keeping me from being honest was a lie. Right? I stepped through the barrier. I, I, I laid out my weakness before you, and you didn't go anywhere. It didn't change your opinion of anything. You love me more now. So what I was hearing in my head, that was a lie then. It wasn't true. Now, there's a second component to biblical community when it comes to this struggle with fear and anxiety, and it's embedded also in this word, again, reasonableness. To have a disposition of the heart that looks to the interests of others. Let me just lay out a scenario for you. If I pull up to my house, and my house is on fire, flames coming out of the roof, and I know that my boys are at school, and my wife is at work, and I'm the only one here, I'm going to think about whether or not I need to go in, and I'm going to think about the things in the house and how much they actually mean to me, and more than likely, I'm just going to call the fire department on 911, I'm going to wait it out, right? Because there's nothing of enough value in there to cause me to want to break through my fears and go in there. My fears are logical in that moment. My fears are being good to me. They're saying, hey, don't go in there. You'll probably die. And it's not worth it. But if I pull into the driveway and I think that maybe one of my family members could be in there, what happens? I call 911. Here's my address. And where, where, where am I going? I'm going in the house without fear. Now, what's the difference? The house is still on fire. Because my interests are on something else, someone else who I love dearly, what happens to my fear and anxiety? It diminishes and goes away, and I step forward in courage. And the only difference is who's in the house. And so what Paul is saying, listen, church, get your focus off of yourself and put it on others. Serve one another in brotherly affection. And what's going to happen? Your focus off of your weakness is going to begin to diminish. Now, does it guarantee that your anxiety goes away? No. It's part of the process of Christ meeting you in your weakness and turning your weakness into strength. And he tells us 
which is, this is yours in Christ Jesus. You have the ability to put others first now. You didn't used to have that ability. You have the ability to look to the interests and ambitions of others, not your own now. In Christ, you now have this ability to be others-centered. Just to to line up with the teachings of Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Worship. And love your brother as yourself. You see that playing into this equation? So what do you do with your struggle with fear and anxiety if God just doesn't miraculously change it? You start off with a posture in your heart for worship. How do I do that? I don't feel like it. You need a bigger view of God. How do I get a bigger view of God? You read about him. Go to the Psalms. You want to read biblical examples of anxiety and fear? Go read David's songs. How many of those songs did he write in the midst of fear, trembling, and anxiety? But God meets him every time. Read about the bigness of God. Read about a God that's hard to believe in. That one's worthy of worship. And then begin to look to the interests of others, focusing on others, choosing to serve one another in brotherly affection. And this is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel of peace. And what happens is then God meets us there. And this gospel of peace overwhelms us in a way that doesn't make sense. That's the heart of this passage. If it was about logic and making sense, you could talk yourself off the ledge when you get anxious, right? You could just say, that's not true, that's not logical. But we're not looking for logical peace, we're looking for this peace that's embedded in this passage where Paul says, the peace of God which goes beyond understanding will meet us and guard our hearts. I wanna land here today. Um, I, I believe that everybody in the room on some level struggles with fear and anxiety. Whether it's the, the, the in-your-face, chronic, debilitating version of anxiety, or it's the more subtle version, where you just kind of divert or avoid maybe even things that God has called you to do, maybe even just loving one another well. Whichever your version is, I want to encourage you today to take a step of faith. To take a step of faith towards God and say, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to believe the lie anymore. I'm going to break through the spirit. I'm going to be honest about where I'm at. Listen, I'm going to encourage you to do that because I believe God will meet you there. And the gospel of peace will meet you there. The gospel of peace that goes beyond what makes sense. And you'll begin a journey, a process of sanctification of God turning that weakness into strength. I also want to mention this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, listen. All of this is contingent on this one truth that I have trusted in Jesus. That whole list of blessings in Ephesians 1, those are, the, the list is for those who've trusted in Jesus. And listen, church, the next thing I want to ask you to do, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Christ, listen, this is not my invitation. It's God's invitation to you. This invitation comes from a big God. He's so big I can't comprehend him or understand him, but he's worthy of trusting. He's worthy of worship. If that's you, I'm going to encourage you to take a step of faith today. In a moment, our worship team will be up front. Our prayer partners will be down here at the front as well. And I'm, I'm encouraging you to take a step of faith today, whatever your struggle is. Struggle with fear and anxiety, struggle with being known, or maybe it's just, I just need to know how to become a Christian. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Come grab one of our prayer partners and let them pray with you today. Let's pray together, and then our worship team will come back up. Father, thank you for this reminder from Philippians today, God, that, Father, our struggle with 
anxiety and fear, it's, it's really not merely a struggle of flesh and blood. And God, even though there is flesh as a part of the equation, we know that the core of it, the root of it, stems from, from who we are and whose we are and what we do with our worship. God, all across this room, I just sense that there are folks who are struggling right now, who are just looking for a glimmer of hope with what to do with their anxiety. And today, God, thank you for meeting us where we are. So God, would you take what's remaining of this service time and would you recalibrate our hearts? Would you capture our attention? And God, may we begin to think about things that are worthy of praise. May we begin to think about things that are pure and just and right and noble and and holy. God, would you set our attention on you? Would you give us a big view of who you are today? Pray these things in Jesus' name.